Welcome to African American Conservatives, the soul of the conservative movement, your source for news and commentary from a cultural and right of center perspective. African American Conservatives. Welcome to African American Conservatives, the soul of the conservative movement. I'm your host, Marie Strotter, reminding you to go to aacons.substack.com. There you will find links to this podcast, as well as our commentary and all of our social media platforms. So please bookmark acons.substack.com. And if you would like to support our podcast, you can become a paid subscriber right there at acons.substack.com. Without further ado, I'm really excited to introduce our guest for this week. Recently, you saw DK and I on her show, The Adrian Ross Show, but we have Adrian Ross with us today. Adrian Ross hails from New York, where she was a seventh grade public school teacher, an English teacher, for nearly 20 years. She now resides in Southeast Missouri. Adrian is an author, editor, freelance writer, speaker, and host of the Adrian Ross Show and Podcast. She's a John Maxwell certified speaker, trainer, and coach. And as a former newspaper columnist, she now publishes her writing on Substack and is also a writing coach. Additionally, Adrian is a direct descendant of Araminta Ross, known world round as Harriet Tubman. I'm pleased to welcome back to the show Adrian Ross. Hey, Adrian. Hello, Marie. So good to see you again. And it's I'm... good to see you. Yes, it's been so long. <laughs> I know, forever. Yeah. Oh, I'm glad to be here. I wanted to talk to you about that because I've known you for, I don't know, 12, 15 years now, and just found out about your connection to Harriet Tubman, Araminta Ross. Has your family always known about that connection? I mean, is that something in your family or is that something you discovered later on? That's something that I heard throughout my life and never really thought a whole lot about it. And then several years ago, my family went to the family reunion and they brought me back the the document that uh, has all the family information and lineage and all that in there. And in the beginning of it, it did talk about the fact that we are descendants of the, the family of Harriet Tubman and also mentioned people like Diana Ross. And that's something else that I had always heard about, but that's about all I, that's about all that I, I know. Actually, there's some other uh, actors or actresses as well. So yeah, I guess I come from some good stock. <laughs> wow. That's pretty cool. I mean, Diana Ross. Wow. Yeah. Now, are there any traditions that your family holds or, uh, you know, stories or anything like that because of this connection? No. <laughs> wow. No, not, not anything about, uh, about Harriet Ross Tubman or Araminta, as you say, um, or Diana Ross, other than the fact that it's something that we, that we know. And, um, you know, I'm learning later in life, the importance of, um, of talking and learning from, from one another, because when that moment passes, it passes. Yeah. I mean, you know, our community is really strong in the oral tradition. So that would have been really cool to have some stories to pass down. Now I too 
have an interesting family connection. And I want to talk to you about that because you and I bonded initially over our mutual love of literature and To Kill a Mockingbird. Yes. Um, you are a, a, a former English teacher. Uh, I found out recently, I want to say it's been within the last six, eight months, that I am a cousin eight, eight times removed from Jane Austen. Oh, wow. Yeah. Now, yeah. apparently everybody's related to her from that distance. <laughs> so, but I mean, I think in my family genealogy, it's something like 21% from the British Isles, that kind of thing. So oh. I wanted to talk to you a little bit about literature. DK and I have talked a lot about um, this whole reimagining uh, wokeism, if you will. Mm -hmm. And there is a push now um, to wokeitize everything. Um, there was a, there was an adaptation of my favorite Jane Austen novel persuasion last year. And you may have seen it or seen the kerfuffle about it. I, um, I, have, not, I have not. So this is, new. Oh, well, this is good because they had a, uh, rather diverse cast, mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, they had uh, people with our skin color gallivanting around in ball gowns. They had uh, people who were of Asian descent. Um, and so there was a big online debate about it because some people were like, oh, well, it's about time. We just need to ignore color. And I don't know if you remember, but, you know, 30, 25 years ago, uh, Denzel Washington was in Hamlet with Kenneth Branagh and they were brothers. And it was kind of like, huh, <laughs> you know, it was just, there was something about that. Um, and so I wanted to talk to you a little bit because, you know, there's been this flap. Rick Riordan uh, got pretty upset with uh, the half blood camp because people are kind of rejecting his character, Annabeth, Chase, who he wrote as a Caucasian girl. And in the casting of the movie, she's now black. And he's upset that people won't accept her. And it's not because she's black that they won't accept her. It's because for 15 or however many years Percy Jackson's been out, she's been a white girl, you know? So, you know, in, in Persuasion, and Elliot is described a certain way. Captain Wentworth is described a certain way. And now we've got this cast with, you know, all these people walking around who look nothing like the description that, you know, Jane Austen wrote that over 200 years ago, right. you know? So now they've done this whole thing with persuasion. They did an adaptation of Pride and Prejudice, Blyde and Bledgetus, if you will, um, <laughs> where they made a whole black cast now they're doing sense and sensibility or blints and blintsibility, if you will. Yes. And so we've got some slides of that that we're going to show you now. Mm -hmm. It's kind of crazy to think about this whole reimagined thing, if you will, because my issue with it is, you know, I'm all, I mean, that's beautiful. If you see that, that is absolutely breathtaking. Yes. The costumes, you know, how they, the cinematography, everything. Mm -hmm. But the fact of the matter, Adrian, is you and I both know full well, if we were there at all, 
We did not roll up in a barouche and four. We did not enter in the front door in a lovely ball gown Mm -hmm. that cost, you know, thousands of pounds during the season. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it just, the British slave trade. I mean, that's part of Mansfield Park, one of her other books. Um, And so it just drives me a little crazy. And I wanted to get your opinion as a literature teacher and as someone, you know, that we discuss these kinds of issues. What's your take on that? Ridiculousness? (laughs) In in one word, I think it's ridiculousness. I, I don't understand what people are trying to do in their attempts to change what what was, I mean, we can appreciate the times and we can appreciate literature for what it was. And I feel like there's a whole lot of throw them a bone going on and pandering going on. And to me, as you said, I love to kill a mockingbird. Like what I want to open, what I want to turn on the television or turn, you know, watch a movie where Atticus Finch is is a black man or male mm-hmm. is a black woman it just doesn't work Mm-mm. and you're not doing any favors and and i don't understand what is the point to make people feel good about themselves for a moment we're we're, we're trying to i guess diverse you know be diverse and and all this all this stuff you know we know we you and i talk about this stuff but we're going about it the wrong way yeah and it's not honest it's not, it's just not true. It's just, it's ridiculous. I mean, that's, that's really how I feel. I don't know what else to say other than I feel like it's, it's ridiculous. Well, to your point, it it is pandering. And here's the thing. And and you and I talked about this with DK last week when we were on your show, bringing, you know, all this whole um, ideology around removing statues. Oh, they were slave owners, so they don't deserve a statue. And, you know, almost this revisionist history, right? Or whitewashing, literally whitewashing the things that we do not like. And here's the thing. I think it is cruel, and that's just my opinion, to pretend that we were anything but what we were during that period of time. I think every girl is raised with the idea of dress up and imaginative play and being in a ball gown. And, you know, um, I'm reading a book right now about a girl who um, was abandoned on her wedding day. She found out that her fiance was cheating and uh, she ran away from her wedding and she sued a company that's like the Disney company. They gave it another name, but she sued them because they built up her hopes of happily ever after. And you can be anything you want to be. And you're a princess and this kind of thing. And that's kind of how I feel. It's like, we weren't in ball gowns. We, we were not uh, invited to these soirees. And so it's kind of cruel, if you will, this reimagining to think that we were anything but what we were. And to the point that we discussed last week, mm-hmm. that as you pointed out, there is a time that we are looking through the lens, you know, at this Regency period mm-hmm. when they were involved with war with France and all of that kind of stuff. And to look through the lens of time and know what was going on with the slave trade and all these other things, it's, 
it's disingenuous. And I feel like at some point when we do these kinds of things, we forget the atrocities and the cruelty. And it, I'm not saying that it could happen again, but then again, look at the Holocaust and what's happening in the Middle East now. So I feel like when we do these things, we're not doing ourselves any favor. No. What do you think? Of course we're not. And on one hand, they're saying that we want to constantly remind you of the atrocities. And then on the other hand, yeah. they're do the revisionist thing. And you and I have taught, even in the, my, on my show, we talked about the importance of people being able to look and see someone who looks like them and, and to have role models and to be able to identify and all that. So we get that. But that doesn't mean that we go back in history and switch what was. That means that here we are now. We can, we can be creative and do things now where people can look and see themselves represented without lying and being, or to be kind, being disingenuous to use your word. So there are ways to have that representation, um, the positive role models that you want, et cetera, without changing history. That's absolutely right. You know, we did talk about the representation. I was telling the story about a client that I had and, you know, she had a character set in the fifties and what hair routines would be like and those kinds of things, because I felt it was important that my daughter be able to go into a bookstore or a library and see people on the cover that looked like her. And that's important. But this whole thing, you know, like with as I mentioned, you know, the whole thing with Percy Jackson and making the Little Mermaid black and the whole kerfuffle around that, it just is off-putting. And I'm not saying that you can't do those things, but DK and I have talked about this a lot with a lot of the comic guys that we've had on the show. Mm -hmm. This whole thing about, you know, making Superman gay or, you know, um, making... Thor Black or whatever it is, you know, it's this, it's right. wokeatizing it for the sake of wokeatizing and not any sort of, you know, um, the things that you and I would talk about, like plot development or, you know, those sorts of things where there's a, a, a necessity in the plot to mm -hmm. further it for a character to be able to do that. Mm -hmm. And so it is pandering in a way, and it is this sort of, you know, like we were talking about on your show, we're all colorblind now. Right. It's almost like their form of reparations. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I use the term throw them a bone, you know? It's like we we've gotta we've gotta make up for the sins of the past. And so this is the way that we we get to do that. And it does it is off-putting. People and, and people are tired of it. It's like they want to watch a movie and just watch the movie. They don't want to see the agenda. They don't want to be like you're pandering to me, just, let's just enjoy certain things. And it's just, oh, it's over the top, Marie. And it's why th that people are so super sensitive about everything, because all this stuff is in your face all the time. It it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. One of the things we talked about with the comic guys is you go to a movie to escape. Right. It's it's this world that is in your imagination. If you've read the book, you can picture the streets of the town. You can picture the characters. You can do right. all of these things. But then, like you said, you've got, you know, somebody's sexuality right in your face or you've got somebody's whatever, yeah. you know, agenda. Mm -hmm. And you lose that ability 
to escape. Now, I want to touch on something that you said, because you said it's like reparations. Mm -hmm. And I bring up this friend. He's a dear, dear, dear friend. I've known him 50 of my almost 60 years. Mm -hmm. um, and he is the head of this reparations thing in California. Mm -hmm. And I read yesterday that the San Francisco uh, Board of Supervisors is going to meet to now, you know, California has been doing this whole thing. It's going to be a million, uh, you know, point two that everybody that is black gets. Then it was five million. California has been broke for the last, yeah. I don't know, 20 years. So I don't know where they're going to get this money. But, you know, ne let's never mind that. We're, we're going to reimagine yeah. that they've got full coffers, right? Right. So, But now the Board of Supervisors in San Francisco is going to issue some sort of proclamation formally apologizing to the community. Um, that's different than $5 million. Not that I believe in reparations or any of that kind of stuff. Right. But what's your take on that? That's kind of crazy. Listen, if you want to give me reparations, bring the money. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, I'm not going to say no. That's crazy. Not that I agree with that either. So they're apologizing to current Californians. Is that what you're saying? They're apologizing to the black community, I guess, in San Francisco. They're issuing a formal apology so that San Francisco's on record, which is interesting to me because are they now going to apologize to the Asian community? Because Transcontinental Railroad and all of the things that happened with the Chinese community, I mean, you know, well, why maybe, single us out? Maybe Our special the, red phone rang? I don't maybe, know. Maybe the Asians are next. I don't know. Maybe they're going down the line. It's, it's ridiculous. I, I feel like I've said that word like five times already. <coughs> why are... You know what, Marie? This reminds me of when police officers, not to get on a whole different tangent, but police officers were going... Uh, to black people or they were kneeling down in front of them and they were apologizing yes. for things that they did not do. Um, it's, it's not, it's, it's pandering. And it, I don't think anyone, well, I guess there are people who feel satisfied in that, but uh, I, I certainly wouldn't feel satisfied in you apologizing to me for something you didn't do and you didn't do it to me anyway. You're right. They showed clips of white people kneeling before black people and it was uncomfortable. I mean, I, it was cringy. Yeah. It was cringy. It is. It is um, and, and some people though say, Oh, you know, it's a, it's a good thing. And you're, you're making up for the sins of the past. And I said, how, how is it a good thing? You have not, you haven't done anything wrong. You know, if there, if there is, um, and I, I respect law enforcement, for example, but if there is a bad cop out there and there are bad cops out there and they act wrong, you know, in the wrong manner, the apology coming from you who didn't do anything isn't, isn't helpful. And it is cringy. It's extremely uncomfortable. And I'm so ready to move on from some of that stuff. Yeah. It's, it's really kind of bizarre and it's like you and I discussed I would much rather have an honest open conversation about race where we talk about these things about you weren't there I wasn't there we can recognize that some things happened where can we move on from here and really heal 
yeah. um, and, yep. and have conversations so that nobody is pandering to anybody else. I'm Marie, you're Adrian. Yeah. It's not like I'm Marie, the black woman. You're Adrian, the black woman. Well, Marie, you know, I feel, yeah. Do we really want to heal? And I, and I say that because if we heal, then we do have to, we have to move on. Yes. And I, there's something to be said. I know there's a spiritual principle of repentance for the nation, repentance for uh, the unborn babies who have, that, who've been, um, been killed in the womb. There's something to be said for that, but it's not, uh, it's not, so acknowledge what happened. Now, how do we heal? How do we move, move forward? Instead, we are reliving and reliving and the next year you're apologizing again and next year you're apologizing again and, and we don't take responsibility for where we are now. Let's see how we can take the history and learn from it and then move forward. But you can't do that, like you said, without an honest conversation. And as I've told you many times, I'm not sure people are ready, not ready. for that conversation. No. No. And it's interesting because like you said, they keep bringing up these wounds and it's kind of like, I want, I want us to move ahead, but then they rip it back. You know what I mean? And so you never do really get to heal. And to your point last week on your show, when you had DK and I, this whole conversation about Martin Luther King and denigrating him and dragging him through the mud and saying unkind things about him and bringing up, you know, personal flaws that he may have had. And I don't know, I wasn't there. You weren't there. I don't think anybody that's Charlie Kirk wasn't there. So, you know, I mean, this is anecdotal stuff, but you, the way to make inroads with a community isn't to denigrate, um, you know, and, and, and you and I talked about, you know, it's not right to have a human being on a pedestal, No. but that said, uh, you don't want to denigrate either. And that is just a bad optic for yeah. some of these folks with, as you call them, white people with a, white conservatives with a platform. Yeah. Now, of course, speaking of Charlie Kirk, his response was that when you question how the black community, for example, would respond to him denigrating Dr. King, he says that that's a racist, bigoted thing for us to question. Why? Why? Because a white guy says so? I mean, why is I, it? I, I, I suppose what he's saying is that we're, we're thinking that black people cannot appreciate the truth and that we are automat automatically going to be turned off by the truth. And therefore that's a racist, bigoted thing. I think that's what he's, I think that's what he, where he's coming from. I don't know that there's anybody who's never heard the rumors about Dr. King. Um, I think we know. So, I mean, I think, I, I mean, there are some maybe who, who thought he was a saint and that he never absolutely did anything wrong, but, but I doubt anybody thinks there's anybody who didn't do anything wrong. And I'm not condoning anything Dr. King may have done, but I am questioning the motives of those who find it necessary now to bring it out. But something I bring it up, something I've thought about since our conversation, Marie, is that especially because Charlie Kirk, you know, presents himself as a Christian and others as well. Um, and I'm not saying people shouldn't be called out when they do wrong. What I am saying though, is I don't know where Dr. King, if he did those things wrong, I don't know what his relationship was with God. I don't know if he did wrong and then repented. I don't, I don't know that. And so to decide that I'm going to bring that out and I'm going to pull out everything after this man has been, has passed 
all this time and then alienate a community of people who do have great respect for him and beyond that don't get why you do why you're doing what you're doing i purposely think it's purposeful i think that matt walsh and charlie kurt i don't know them i don't know for sure but i get the feeling at least matt walsh he but i said it it's a tit for tat it's a you know yeah. what you want to get rid of statues and stuff and you and i are not advocating any of that but there are some who are changing school names and all this stuff you want to yes. do that so guess what we're going to do? We're going to pinpoint one person who is highly regarded as in Dr. King. And we're, I believe, purposely declaring war on the people you respect. And I think it's dangerous. And I think it's sloppy. And and I think that it is it could backfire. I absolutely agree with you. And I don't understand, as, as we talked about on your show, what the motive or animus behind that is. Like you said, other than just this kind of tit for tat sort of thing. And you're right. You know, one of the things that I said on your show was that, you know, I'm not in the market for a personal savior. I already have one. So, you know, I don't need this kind of pristine person because, as you said, there is no one that is perfect. Yeah. So, you know, that well, obviously they don't need one either because they, you know, uh, Charlie Kirk supports uh, former President Trump and he's not perfect either. Nothing. Yeah. I'm not. And you're not. Right. So and it's funny to me. I was thinking not really funny, but for lack of a better word, some of the stuff that Kirk is doing as a conservative leader of sorts and supporter of Trump, I don't think Trump would be on board <laughs> With this stuff that they're the attack on Black History Month. No, no. It's sort of like. And the fact that he absolutely adores Alveda King. His face lights up like a Christmas tree when they are in the room together because I've seen it in person. So, yeah, that's bad. I don't think that, I mean, not to say that he owes it to him, but I mean, I, I don't think Trump would get behind that, those kinds of tactics. And of course, all that he, all that he did for uh, the black the black community as well, meaning Trump, of course. I want to turn a little bit to that point. A great segue, thank you. Sure. Uh, because, you know, the polls are out now and they're saying that uh, African-Americans, black people in general, are uh, starting to turn away from the Democrat party. Their eyes are, you know, the scales are, are, are falling off of the eyes. What do you make of that? And what do you think it portends for this election year? Well, if you just look at the current president, I think all people should be concerned. And though black people tend to be married to the Democrat party, um, we can all look at President Biden and see that, um, I mean, I, I, it's hard to find the words. The special counsel, Robert Hur report, talked about his memory issues and all that. And so I think it's a dangerous thing to, to support him, to, to pretend that he's able to run the country for four more years. But beyond that, you know, money talks and people know right now that they don't have the money in their bank accounts that they had under the last presidency. And black folks are watching that and experiencing that. And also the problem with immigration with this president and the Democrat party and their support of this no border situation, people in the black community are finding that even like youth centers that are designed to keep uh, black people engaged and keep them off the streets, they're using those now 
for immigrants, illegal immigrants. And yeah. so you're hearing some of them talk about that as well. That's, that's not cool. Giving money to um, all, what, 60 billion now to Ukraine in some bill that's supposed to be a national security bill. And, and even Stephen A. Smith, the commentator, he's come out and said, you know what, this is why Trump is probably going to be reelected because there are people here who are struggling where's their where is their card with their you know credit card with money on it where is their i mean we've been born here and people in the black community are dealing with certain things and financial issues i mean we all are but we know that there are needs that are unique to the black community yes and this administration is tone deaf apparently Absolutely. You know, I was going to talk about the protests in Chicago. You saw uh, people from the black community just reading off this litany of things of mm. as you talked about. And, and that's kind of unheard of, you know, because it, it, we talked about on your show, you know, back in the time of Martin Luther King Jr., you know, people had his picture in the black community, his picture on the wall and, and JFK. And I mean, you know, the Democrat Party was, you know, really a strong focal point for our community. And so it's kind of crazy to me to see now, and I'm happy to see it, that people are waking up. But as you said, you know, all the money that President Trump granted to HBCUs, uh, the enterprise zones, all of the things that he did for the black community, the First Steps Act, criminal justice reform. And as you said, this whole open borders policy yeah. where our community is being hit really, really hard. Right. I've talked often about the fact that I adopted my two youngest children. Mm -hmm. We did that all with private funding. Mm -hmm. uh, they are Title IX ineligible because it was a private adoption and not through the public foster care system. So we never, I mean, all of the therapy, all of the everything, all of the medication, everything was out of pocket. Wow. But they were born here mm -hmm. and they went through some very difficult things as we talk about, like with our veteran community that has served this nation yes. and how they have been treated, uh, you know, until President Trump did some things for the VA and it's still not where it should be, but it's better than it was. But just the appalling record that we have with our veterans, we've got people, as you mentioned, that have been born in this country yes. who struggle with poverty and homelessness mm -hmm. um, or the unhoused, as they're calling them now. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, all of these other issues that were born right here in this country that right. go to sleep on the streets at night with bellies growling because right. they're hungry yeah. and we've got all this money that we're just sending 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 everywhere else but here you I, know but right. we've got all these people coming through and we want to give them ids so that they can vote because this is the new voting block yeah. you know we're out of favor because we're woke now and you know uh, not woke but we're waking up now right. <laughs> yeah. and all of this yeah. it's just insane to me um, you know, and seeing the issues that are in the black community with, um, you know, under President Obama, how it was like, what, 30, 40, 50 percent unemployment in the black community for black teenagers. I know it was 40 percent. 
Yes. I remember that statistic. Mm -hmm. It was just crazy. Mm -hmm. And so it's great to see that people are waking up. What do you think will happen this year? Do you think that that will translate into Donald Trump winning? Well, if in the black community, if some of these conservatives don't spoil it, <laughs> right? I mean, that's you know, but you are hearing. I've seen videos. I've heard audio of black people saying, "You know what? I'm I'm all in for I'm all in for Trump this time around. I voted for Biden before." And listen, black people, we tend to be extremely loyal people, and that has shown itself in the loyalty to the Democrat Party. But life is it's hard right now. And, and when you're staring at an administration who seems not to care about what you're going through, I think you might have to turn and look somewhere else where there was someone who was in your camp, where there was someone who was fighting for you and someone who made it easier to have money in your pocket and to pay your bills and have your children have somewhere to stay where, where they're not second to someone from another country. I think I think we are waking up, like you said, not, growing, not going woke, but I believe we are waking up because if nothing else, money talks and, and we are, I'm struggling as well. You know, that's, it's, it's real. It's alive to me. Healthcare. Okay. We're struggling with healthcare, but other people from other countries are coming in and, and they're having free healthcare. It's, I think people are waking up, but I do say not to keep going back to what we talked about before. I think it's important to to not alienate those people whom, uh, I mean, you might be able to win and draw to your side because presentation and messaging matter because people do not care how much you know until they know how much you care. And if you continue to turn them off, they're not going to hear, okay, how is the alternative better than what we have now? Listen, not everybody is steeped into politics like you and I. They no. don't have all the details and all that stuff. So they need you to be able to pr present that message to them and say, this is what, what we had. Uh, this is what conservatives are standing for and bring. And this is what this administration has. A lot of people don't wake up knowing all those things, right? But if you start off with this stuff that we're seeing with some of these conservatives in or the platform, we're going to we're going to shoot ourselves in the foot. We talked about that on the show and um, telling everybody now, you know, you really need to go and listen to this show that we're talking about because DK and I were on and we talked about this. But, you know, you're right that we're in an election year. Um, and here's the thing. They always talk about, you know, all we need is 12 to 15 percent of the vote. And we can pull this off. And we we saw that under President Trump. Uh, we saw the last election. There were some irregularities that we will not discuss, but, you know, that, that may have uh, <clears throat> changed that outcome a little bit. But for all intents and purposes, we did peel off about 12-ish, 15% of, of the vote. But to your point, we need more people who are from the Democrat party yeah. to cross over. And so it's not that you're talking to people like you and I, who can weed through all of this garbage that we're seeing from these conservatives with this platform. You know, you and I are steeped and we're in the news cycle 24 seven. We know all of this stuff, but for your average voter, yes, who, you know, lives on sound bites and those kinds of things and what they might see in the liberal media. Yes. You cannot have these people denigrate 
people that are held in high esteem. And so it really is, like you said, shooting ourselves in the foot. It is. And it's not just, we're not having this conversation and saying that just for the sake of keeping Republicans or putting Republicans in office. You and I believe that the principles of conservatism serve the black community and all communities well. But again, it serves the black community well also. So that it's not just about, we want to keep these Republicans. Listen, I say both parties can be a hot mess. Okay. Yes. But I want, I want principles that are going that, that align with my principles. I don't want to be voting against my principles and many, unfortunately, black people, black people, it yes. Christians even have looked the other way in terms of that, because they have this mindset that Democrats, you know, they're supposed to be Democrats and they have this mindset that Republicans are racist. That's their mindset. And, and so when you come out again with, oh, Martin Luther King is, is a horrible person. And you come out with, you know, like Michael Knowles did start right off saying yes. month means nothing to anyone. When you do that, you just, it doesn't You're alienating people cause, but yes. it also doesn't help individuals who are going to shut you off right away. And there will be people who will say, well, then that's their problem if they shut, you know, that's their fault. No, we're all like that. How you step to someone matters. It really does. It's like communication 101. That's absolutely right. And you know, because we see these politicians every four years, they come to our Martin Luther King Jr. breakfast, they kiss our babies, take pictures, and then you don't see them for four years, right? And then you've got their mouthpieces now saying that, you know, black, nobody cares about Black History Month and Martin Luther King was a terrible person and blah, 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 blah. So what are we supposed to do with that information? Like you said, I mean, if you and I are having this discussion and we are engaged as, you know, conservative voters, what do you think that does for the average African-American voter? Yeah. You know, when you see all that and you hear all that and you see all this money, like you said, going to people who are here illegally or going to another country uh, and we've got kids that are hungry. We can't make our uh, we can't pay our bills, those sorts of things. So, yeah, you're absolutely right. It's in the presentation. You know, I often think about uh, Heathcliff Huxtable and I remember him having a conversation with dabness who ended up being vanessa's fiance that showed up out of nowhere yeah <laughs> and heathcliff said you know dabness what do you like to eat you know he said you like a you like a steak oh yeah i like a steak you like potatoes oh yeah i like some potatoes he's okay so i got the steak made and and how do you like it made okay i have it on the plate and i've got it the plate decorated i got the potatoes on the plate and all that stuff he says oh yeah he said and then i put it in the garbage can lid and i hand it to you and he said, and then Heathcliff says, it's in the presentation, isn't it? That's right. And that he said, and that's how Vanessa brought you here on a garbage can lid. But that's, that's, how, right. that's how some of the conservatives are presenting the conservative message. They've, we've got a good message. If we would abide by the principles, they're really, they're really good. And, well, and as you said, they, they align with our community values. I mean, we value traditional marriage. I mean, I lived in California, as you know, for mm-hmm. most of my life. It's only been the last three plus years that I've lived here in Texas. 
but I lived in California and we voted down same-sex marriage not once but twice in California so you know I I believe it's people who look like us that are in the privacy of the voting booth Hispanic Americans and and black uh, people who uh, vote their traditional values so we believe in traditional marriage you know we don't believe in abortion those sorts of things and you know all of this uh, transgender stuff and and putting boys in the bathroom with girls and can and, you imagine a black father oh no oh, <laughs> oh man and and, no. and 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 a lot of that stuff that's going on in schools with the pornography with the and all books this. i mean and and obviously conservatives have been a voice for school choice also and we understand that our children all children our children too need a quality education and uh, it seems like the Democrats are more interested in in these u- school unions and teachers unions and all that. Yeah. Stuff. And so, but but you see what we just had. If I had if we had started this conversation, if I was trying to convince you to to step over to the other side, that's going to help you better. But I started with yeah, you know that that Martin Luther King. Oh, that black <gasps> stupid. Everybody I know thinks it's stupid. We never would have gotten to the other side of the conversation no. that we're having. And that's where messaging comes in and we don't seem to get it. And when we seem to be making progress, like we are now, you get somebody who comes out and says something stupid. Exactly. And you know, it's so funny because 12, 13 years ago, um, I met with one of our senators who's actually still serving Mm -hmm. and I kind of whispered in his ear, you know, you really need to get behind school choice because that is the issue I think that can bring the party together because living in the Bay Area, I, we have had failing schools the whole time that I've been alive, the the almost 60 years of my life. I can't remember a time that we've had uh, a Republican mayor of San Francisco or a Republican mayor of Oakland or, uh, you know, some of these other inner cities. And I said, there's nothing like a black mother mm-hmm. who wants educational opportunities for her child. That's why I homeschooled. Yes, that is exactly why I homeschooled. I wasn't going to relegate my children to a failing school. And I had a child who had a cognitive delay. My youngest child yeah. from his first uh, family, mm-hmm. there were some issues mm-hmm. and he has a delay. And uh, so he would, as a, a black boy with ADHD, he'd have been slapped in a special ed classroom and that would have been it. Nice. This boy can put together sermons that would make you cry. Mm-hmm. His vocabulary, he came in last Sunday, said, mom, found a new word. I love, this is my new favorite word, hubris. You know, I mean, he's always reading his dictionary. He sits in his room and just reads the dictionary and comes up with, you know, all these things. And he puts together these sermons with advanced vocabulary and all of this stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, yes, and I see that potential in him. I saw it in him, and I nurtured that and pulled that out. Yeah, and you know, mm-hmm. so to your point, school choice is a winning issue. That's but it. you know, we 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 are so myopic. I want to talk to you because you before we 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 leave, and this is going to be the last question. Sure. Before I bring DK in, and then we'll wrap up. Mm-hmm. But I want to ask you about the books because you know we are seeing these pornographic books. I mean, just straight out pornographic books. You are a lover of literature. I am a lover of literature. Um, But you know, there's this whole movement about these banned books here in Texas. One of our legislators, um, you know, was reading books uh, 
in the state rotunda. Mm -hmm. uh, and they were horrible yes. books with explicit scenes. You know, there's that whole freedom of speech thingy and, you know, all of that kind of stuff in the First Amendment. But there's this gratuitous movement and it is, some call it demonic. I mean, it's just this embracing of indoctrination of our children. We are taking our little ones and feeding them this garbage and you know, all of these drag shows that little babies are going to because we want to normalize this behavior so that in 20, 30 years, these kids who are then going to be voters, you know, then you can marry your pygmy goat and you can have 12 wives and a husband and a donkey. You know, it's just, it's it, it, to me, it's insanity. What do you think? Well, <clears throat> Marie, I'm on the front lines of this fight with the uh, the library here, the Cape Girardeau yes. Public Library. It's been going on for several months and and it's we're continuing to to meet and to we've shown up at library board meetings and uh, we've got letters out to uh, Jefferson City, the capital and legislators and the uh, secretary of state involved because there's funding involved as well. We people don't their money should not be going toward this stuff. Um, the First Amendment. Well, the First Amendment does not does not protect against child pornography. Mm -hmm. And a lot of these books are just that. They are child pornography. There's even a book that I've been fighting against here that literally gives children the steps to get on sex apps and encouraging them to meet up with strangers. And Missouri, last I checked, was ninth in trafficking. And yet we have this book in the teen section, which begins at 12, encouraging these kids to get on these sex apps, to upload pictures of themselves and meet up with strangers in the section for 12 year olds. And we have parents who have no clue. And then we have other people who just say first amendment and they want to just throw their children to the wolves. Yes, it is demonic. And it's a larger, it's, I mean, it's a larger thing. The, the whole thing with grooming, the whole thing with these um, surgeries, chopping off genitals and all that, we do know that there are some very powerful people who are into population control. And this all works toward that as well. The whole transgender stuff, it all works toward it. We know the UN is involved as well and the World Health Organization they desire to begin to teach children normalized sex from birth. And when I say that, I'm not exaggerating. There is a written curriculum. I've podcasted on it. I've written about it. Yes. And they want you to get, that's the goal. And the only pushback, yes. I guess the year, the target year is actually uh, 2030. And there's, they're pushing, they pushed back a little bit because they've had some pushback, but there is a huge agenda and it's not innocent. It's, it's, it is, it's sick and parents need to wake up and people need to get involved. We refuse to stop fighting. It's been a fight. It's been a battle. The library has just recently changed their rules so that we won't be able to comment at their meetings. Um, then we have uh, the opposition coming out at meetings as well to push back. This is not about being anti anything. It's about being for children and parents. Right. Please know parents what is in your school's libraries and what is in the public library. 
These people do not have your children's best interest at heart, though they present it as such, and then they present it as this First Amendment thing. But again, there are separate rules where children are involved. That's absolutely right. You know, we just went through that in Texas. We're the second for sex trafficking and human trafficking in Dallas and Houston. Mm-hmm. Um, and we went through this. We had the Reader Act, uh, HB, I think it's HB 900 in Texas here, and uh, got that passed. And we also got it so that uh, library uh, textbook vendors uh, had to have approved curricula because it was that bad that there were things that were being put in to our books. Mm-hmm. But you're right. It really started with the pandemic. If you can say that there was a blessing in that, it's that kids were at school, at home, online with Zoom, and parents are like, what is that I hear in the other room? Yeah. You know, and began to 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 hear that there were some things that were quite concerning. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, that that is a really huge issue. Now, before we bring DK in, I want to talk to you about where our listeners can find you online and follow your work. If you're just following us now, tuning in now, our guest has been Adrian Ross. So Adrian, where can our listeners find you? Well, first of all, they can find me on the podcast that you were on, you and DK, and that is The Adrian Ross Show. And we are on YouTube as The Adrian Ross Show. So you can go there on all the podcast platforms. But also, if you go to my Substack, that is adrianross.substack.com. The podcast is housed there, but also my writing is there. So you can read my writing. You can subscribe again to adrianross.substack.com and check me out there. So um, I'm on social media, Adrian Ross on Facebook and Adrian 2012 on Twitter. I don't do a lot on Twitter, but now the social media platforms as well. But as far as my reading and my podcast, you can find everything right on that Substack. Excellent. Thank you so much for being our guest. And now we're going to bring in the man of the hour, DK. DK, what's up? Hey. hey. How are you? How's everyone? It's been, been a little while. Yeah. Long time. <laughs> I just wanted to double back to what you two were talking about earlier because today I learned something that just blew my mind uh, because I was on the wrong end of this debate for such a long time about um, major liter- literary characters being race swapped, you know, Jane Austen characters suddenly are black and Shakespearean uh, characters are suddenly black and so on and so forth. And I always assumed that that meant that there were no black writers creating black characters. And then I looked to see, much to my surprise, I was completely wrong that there are a great, there is a great literary tradition in the black community. Now here are some of the um, recent greats. You see August Wilson, playwright, winner of two Pulitzers, Mm -hmm. Colson Whitehead, novelist, winner of Two Pulitzers, Toni Morrison, one of my favorite writers, who was a novelist who won a Nobel and a Pulitzer. Lynn Nottage, who was a playwright, recently won a Pulitzer. And Tracy K. Smith, who was a poet, who was a winner of a Pulitzer and a poet laureate. So I just wanted to interject that in the discussion of uh, these race swap characters, because we do have a rich literary tradition. We do have great writers, great poets, great playwrights, great novelists, and so forth, who are more than capable of creating strong Black characters 
interesting black characters. So we turns out we don't have to be piggyback onto white characters, and which, if you think about it, is probably extremely condescending. I mean, I no disrespect against Jane Austen or Shakespeare or William Faulkner or all these other great white writers, but we have our own writers and we have our own writers who create black characters. So do Asians. Asians have great writers and they create great Asian characters. Hispanics go on down the line. So I think that's a, a interesting way of looking at all this race swapping controversy and how condescending it, it really is. Um, they, they, they create a sense of sensibility with two black actresses as if we need that. We don't. Hmm. We have black writers who create their own novels and their own characters, and are more than worthy of the the kind of attention that we're giving to this uh, *Sense and Sensibility* remake. So I just wanted to throw that in the pot. Can you imagine Toni Morrison? I know there are people who have issued Toni Morrison or what her politics were or whatever. Amazing writer. I mean, I I literally would read. Toni Morrison and would have to pause and take a breath because she could construct the sentence like nobody's business. But can you imagine if they took one of her characters, strong black character, <laughs> and swapped that character with someone white? All Hades would break loose. <laughs> can right? you imagine the color purple with a, a white protagonist? Celie, right. can you imagine Celie as white? That's oh, crazy. No, it wouldn't, yeah. it wouldn't work. It wouldn't work. And one of the reasons why they would never do that because they would never be so condescending toward a white audience as they are to um, audience mm -hmm. of people of colors, specifically black people. So, yeah, I, I find it when I see something like that, I, I do find it offensive. And like I said, we don't need it. We shouldn't have it. I, I understand that sometimes the intention is supposedly good, but it's, it's good in a way that's almost like a pat on the head as if we're not accomplishing anything worthwhile on our own. So They, they think they're doing the right thing. Um, they think that they're helping. <laughs> yeah. who, was it who, I, who was it who said, please stop helping us? Oh, Jason Riley. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Please, please stop helping us because... Yeah. You're helping is not helping. Like DK says, we have a rich tradition. We have Lorraine Hansberry and, you know, oh. so many people well, uh, with just a rich, rich tradition. Well, speaking of Lorraine Hansberry, I remember being in 10th or 11th grade in high school and reading A Raisin in the Sun, and I had to do a monologue, and it was a powerful monologue. But again, I had, I had, a raisin in the sun had Lorraine's Lorraine Hansberry to to draw from, and that was a powerful uh, monologue. By the way, <laughs> I love that play. Yes, yeah, seen that several times myself. Yeah, yeah, my students loved it too. Love to be able to turn the classroom into their apartment and just do the. I miss that about teaching, doing that, doing the poetry as well as doing the plays. Thank you so much for being our guest, Adrienne. We really appreciate always having a chat with you. It's always great to have you on the show. Well, it's my pleasure to be with you too. Thank you so much for the rich conversation. Appreciate it. Keep up the good work. Thank you. Take care. All right, you too. God bless you. God bless. All right, sir. What do you want to talk about today? That was amazing. 
Yeah, that was a great I interview. I always love talking to Adrian, especially about literature stuff. We really connect on that level. I connect on every level, but I really like talking to her about it. Literature. Yeah, we should do more shows on uh, specifically black literature now that she she's yeah. got talking about raising in the sun and uh, yeah all these other things. We, I would, I would love to do a show just on raising in the sun. I've seen the play several times, the movie several times. I read the play, uh, you know, more than a few times. So yeah. Sebastian and I were talking about watching Porgy and Bess over the holidays, I and mean, we were talking about you know there were so many different uh, movies that uh starred black people or had a a component to it so yeah there's there's a lot that that we could go back and talk about it's interesting that we you can never release porky and best today uh for several reasons um the main reason being that it was written by a white guy so, <laughs> so well it's funny because the other day i was looking at our fire tv and it had these like this oldies channel and it had um all in the family and i was like what they could they can't show all of the family today can they because that would drive people nuts I can, imagine, <laughs> can you imagine imagine the beeping <laughs> going on in that if you watch oh, it today oh man every other line would be will be beeped. oh man so yeah. yeah that's pretty crazy it was a great talk it was a great discussion and like i said let's do a show on black literature that sounds good that's it for another great episode of African-American Conservatives. Please go to acons.substack.com, get links to this podcast, all of our commentary, all of our social media platforms. And if you enjoy what we do and would like to help us with our content creation efforts, you can become a paid subscriber and get bonus episodes uh, and bonus scenes. So please do go to acons.substack.com. This is Marie signing off from Studio C. Take care until next time. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of African American Conservatives, the soul of the conservative movement. You can find us online at acons.substack.com, anchor.fm forward slash A-A-C-O-N-S. And also you can support our work at anchor.fm forward slash A-A-C-O-N-S forward slash support.